Hi, and welcome to another Kirky Free Sermons podcast. We hope that our sermons help you further your understanding of the Word of God and guide you into your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether you're tuning in on podcast or radio, we're glad that you're here today. Let's jump into this week's message. Well, good morning, my friends. How are you today? Good? Settled? Spirit little calm down after a busy week? Yeah, I hope so. Uh, it, was a, it was a loaded week at the Ham household. Um, for whatever reason, I guess it's just in the life of a pastor, you get those weeks that just are a bit heavy. Um, of course, there was a death this week, and that is a heaviness all in itself. And on top of that, there were just just wrestlings and pressures and, and those kind of things. So I really have just a simple objective uh, before us today, which is to introduce a book that I'd like to spend some time in with you and to give you, uh, out of the first chapter of that book, four reasons why I think it's important that we study it together. So that's my, my hope this morning. Would you pray with me? And then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, I thank you that even in the midst of, of great weights in our life, I can stand here today and say, your grace is enough. You have upheld me by your hand. Just as I know you have upheld each of these brothers and sisters, both in the good times, but Lord, also in those valleys, whether that's physically or mentally or circumstantially in their life. Thank you that you have walked with them. Thank you for being our faithful God. And Lord, we just celebrate your faithfulness today. I think of Ken, I think, wow, you just, you walked with him through life. And, and we could stand together yesterday and just give thanks that you brought him home. And I want to ask now, Lord, as we open your word together, that it would fall fresh on us and it would excite us to think about what you have for us as a church. We pray and ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. So if you would, uh, please open your Bibles and find the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. So Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah is next. That's where we'll be. Today, you can remain seated. We're going to read through the first chapter of the book. So you can just follow along with me in your Bibles. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, in case you're wondering. It begins this way. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. 
As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcasts, are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen, to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And he ends, now I was cupbearer to the king. All right. So four reasons, my friends, and four reasons that I think are highlighted in the first chapter of this book as to why I want us to study this together in this coming season. Uh, Number one, I'm going to put it this way. Number one, to awaken our church to the reality of our brokenness. To awaken our church to the reality of our brokenness. Do you see how this book begins? This short prologue in verses 1 through 3 leads us straight into the crisis of the story. Say, what's happening? Well, we have the main character, Nehemiah, who's living in Susa, the uh, citadel. It's always called the citadel. Now, what that tells us is that uh, our time period is during the Persian Empire. The time of Babylon has ended, and what that means is that the time of the captivity for the Jews has also ended. As prophesied, Seventy years have gone, and the Jews were given a a royal decree to go back to their homeland. So by the time we get to Nehemiah's book here, the exiles have already started to go back home under the leadership of Ezra, Ezra the scribe. The returning remnant was small, and the challenges before them were great. Jerusalem was in shambles. Now with Ezra, the temple was beginning to be rebuilt, but that's about as far as it went. Though Nehemiah's brother and a few others with him bring word to Nehemiah that the remnant's in bad shape. He says there's great trouble and there's shame. The walls are still in heaps. The gates are still charred. Now, folks, it's been that way for decades by this time, maybe close to 80-plus years. And even though 
God's people have already begun to go back, things have not yet really changed. You know, it's easy to get accustomed to the way things are, even when those things are broken. We say things like, well, it is what it is, right? There's, there's nothing we can do about it. Just, we just got to accept it. And that's partly true in the sense that we can't change it. But with the help of our God, we can see amazing things happen. But for that, we need to be honest about the reality, right? Jerusalem was not okay. Things were not all right in the city. And I think if we're honest... In our church, not all things are okay either. And folks, we need to be awakened to these things. It's not always, it's all fine and dandy. There's struggles that we deal with. There's struggles that I deal with. There's sometimes tension in the church. There's sometimes frustration. And I think it's good and it's healthy for us to regularly reevaluate the direction and the workings of the church. And I think we need to ask ourselves, what are the the broken walls around us? What have we just grown accustomed to seeing, but is really needs to be addressed, needs to be worked on? This book is going to help us think about that. How can we as a church trust God into the next stages of our growth together? What are some broken walls around us? So that's the first thing. To awaken our church to the reality of our brokenness. Uh, number two, we see this here, to help our church, to help our church see the challenges of leadership and learn how to rise and meet them. To help our church see the challenges of leadership and learn how to rise and meet them. Uh, leadership is challenging. We'll get a firsthand look at that throughout this book. All right, the story is going to teach us also a lot about leadership. So if you are a leader in any capacity or you feel called to lead in any way, There's some valuable truths that both you and I can benefit from studying this book together. That's one reason I was drawn to it. Um, The first among many challenges of leadership actually begins in this first chapter for Nehemiah, right, in these first three verses. I mean, think about it here for a moment, right? One day, Nehemiah is going about his work, just doing his normal job, and we're told he's in the citadel, right, Susa, You say, why was he there? Well, Susa was the winter capital for the Persian kings. They were in one place in the summer, and then they went to Susa in the winter. The month is Chislev, right, which corresponds to our November or December. Now, the reason Nehemiah is there, as we later find out at the end of the chapter, is that he was what? Cupbearer to the king. So wherever the king is, that's where Nehemiah is. By the way, He had a pretty good gig, cupbearer to the king. I mean, it had its risks. Being the cupbearer meant you were the one to taste the wine uh, to make certain it had not been poisoned. (laughs) So it was on you to make sure that it was good and you were going to survive it. But it was also uh, quite a responsibility. You had to make sure you had to guard that cup that it was not tampered with. But to be in a position like this meant that Nehemiah had to be someone who was extremely trustworthy. Not just anyone was put in a place like that. Whoever had this role had to have excellent character. And for that reason, that individual uh, became a very influential voice in the king's court. 
because he had such character. So in other words, put it this way, Nehemiah didn't get into this position on a whim. It would have been years of faithful service before such a role was entrusted to him. This was a good government job. And he had worked hard to get there. So on a personal level, it was a great achievement to be in this place. But one day a familiar face shows up, right? His own brother and some other guys with him. And with his arrival, Nehemiah's ambition, whatever they were, everything gets turned on its head, right? Everything changes in that moment for him, whatever it was that he was seeking and after. Maybe I could put it this way. Maybe at that moment, everything became began to become into focus. Because as you're going to find out, Nehemiah was a prayerful man. And I think it's reasonable to, to assume that he may have wondered for what reason God had blessed him to be in such an important role. And the news that he hears here at the start brings all of this to a point of personal ownership, right? The question of it. The remnant is in trouble. It's in shame. The walls are broken down. The gates are destroyed, right? Is this why I am in the position I'm in? Will Nehemiah accept the mantle of leadership to do something about this, right? I believe God is calling more of us to lead, especially us men. And this is the first test of a leader, What will you do with the burden that is brought before you, right? The opportunity that avails itself to you. It's never simple, by the way. Accepting God's call will always come with a measure of risk and uncertainty. How easy would it have been for Nehemiah to just have said, well, I'd like to do something about it, but, well, I'm the cupbearer, right? That's my job. You see, there's always an out. And usually we come with a whole list of outs, like this. Well, what would the king think anyway if I told him about it? Well, let's see. Do you know who the king was at this time? It's a man named Artaxerxes. And we learned that this was the same king that earlier in the book of Ezra had already written a letter to the remnant to stop building the temple. So he already issued a command to halt the work. How do you think it would look for Nehemiah to go to the same king and say, yeah, you know what, I'd like to start rebuilding what you commanded to stop? Hmm, maybe sedition, treason? Forget just losing your job. Maybe you'll get hanged for this. And yeah, I think that's where most of us would say, well, forget it. It's someone else's problem. but not for one whom God has called. And that leads me to a third reason for wanting us to study this book. You see this here in the first chapter, right? Number three, to show our church the indispensable place of prayer. It shows us that. To show our church the indispensable place of prayer. D.L. Moody once said, every great movement of God could be traced to a kneeling figure. 
I like that. Every great movement of God can be traced. You want to trace it back to something? Here's what you find at the beginning. A kneeling figure. One thing you cannot ignore in this book is the fact that prayer is pervasive. Eleven different prayers are mentioned in total. And all but one are Nehemiah's own prayers. This should tell us something about the importance of prayer to our church and to all those who are called to lead. Some of the prayers are long, like the one we just read, and some of the prayers are just one-liners. But if we're going to be aware of what God is doing and successful with His endeavors, we must be attuned to His heart. So when Nehemiah was faced with the difficult decision to either accept the burden that was put before him and lead the way, he neither shirked from it and just said, no, it's not for me, right? Just, I'll pass this off. Nor did he take matters in his own hands and act on it, right? Instead, what did he do? According to verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, right, I sat down and wept and mourned for days And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. One commentator put it this way, Nehemiah's response is immediate as soon as I heard it. It is emotive, right? He brought all of himself into this. I sat down, I wept, I mourned. And it is God-directed, right? I brought my burden to the God of heaven. And I want you to see this, okay? Because we might get the impression that Nehemiah prayed once and it was like, all right, I said the magic words, now I'm good, let's do this. But no, this response went on for longer than that. Did you notice how chapter 2 starts? Chapter 2 begins this way, in the month of Nisan. Okay. Now in this month, in chapter 2, this is where Nehemiah actually shares his heart with the king. But What month was it when he first heard the news about Jerusalem? It's mentioned in the beginning, right? This month called Chislev, right? So that was around November, December. Nothing happens until Nisan, which would be like our April. That meant that he prayed about this for months. And what you're reading here, this prayer that's recorded is really just the summary of months long prayers. So folks, we need to be patient for God to work. I need to be patient for God to work. And I need to keep praying for what I'm burdened for until the Lord brings the matter forward. See, that's what happens in chapter 2. Nehemiah was still going about his work and God brought the issue forward. So listen, there are some things that we desire for God to do in our midst. What are some God-sized dreams that he has placed on you? What are you burdened about? What opportunity has been put in front of you? Whatever it is, I know that there are times where we just want to work it, right? We want to schedule it, plan it, advertise it, make it happen. But what we are first called to do is to seek God, right? To submit ourselves to His will. And Jesus made it very clear that apart from Him, we can do nothing. So this book shows us 
the indispensable place of prayer. Every stage along the way, Nehemiah will be returning, bringing the burden of the work back to, back to God. One more, one more I want to share with you this morning uh, before we finish today. Number four, uh, to call our church to persevere. It's interesting, we, we heard a little about that in Hebrews this morning. A main theme of Hebrews is the call to persevere. And here again we see that, to call our church to persevere in repentance and faithfulness. Uh, most of us think that Nehemiah is just about rebuilding the walls. Right? Like the book is some kind of a building campaign. So when you want to build a, a new wing of your church, uh, go ahead and preach Nehemiah and get people psyched up about it. But it's really just not about the walls. It's not about a building project. The walls, in fact, are done by chapter 6. But the book isn't over till seven chapters later. So what's the rest of it about? Well, there's more there because there's more to it than just walls. The end goal for God's people is the worship of God. That's where it's going, to be renewed spiritually. Not just their city, but the people being renewed, right? We have some needs with our building. And by the way, these are being worked on by those in our church with with great diligence, I might add. But we shouldn't think that these improvements and upkeeps are the extent of God's work, right? We need renewal of the heart. We need fresh repentance, as Nehemiah modeled for us here. We need revived commitment within the relationships of this church body. I'm talking about things like humility, honesty, gentleness, forgiveness, love. These things will be ongoing and we must persevere in them. Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, calls us to that. And by the way, Jesus Christ, through the power of his redemption, has sanctified his church to be built up, right? Same idea, being built up as a spiritual house. But as we all know, the church is frequently attacked, both from without, enemies without, and sometimes more often, by sin within. And it impedes our worship. So I'm excited about getting into this book and seeing what God has for us. But those four things, to awaken us to our brokenness, to see the challenges of leadership and rise to them, to understand the indispensable place of prayer, and number four, to persevere in spiritual renewal. Can I ask you to pray with me? And we'll take those thoughts with us as we go this week. Lord Jesus, as is true of all of your word, there are seasons, there are times where we need to be in certain books. And I thank you for what this book has for us, for your church. It is written for us upon whom the end of the ages has come. So thank you, God, for writing it. Thank you for the lessons, the principles that are here. And I thank you for enabling us to be obedient to it through faith in Jesus Christ, your Son. We thank you for him, God. And we are hopeful because of what he has begun to do in and among us. He will complete and finish the good work. And we are just grateful, Lord, to be a part of it. 
So we pray that you would take us now and allow us to begin to soak on these things and to read this book thoughtfully, prayerfully, and see ourselves in what you're calling each one of us to do. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was brought to you by the Kirkoven Evangelical Free Church of Kirkoven, Minnesota. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please email us at kirkefree at gmail.com. That's K-E-R-K-E-free at gmail.com.